0: Before we go to the word, I want to thank uh, Pastor John and the missions committee for just a wonderful conference that they put together for us this this last week. It was just it was great to enjoy fellowship with our missionaries, um, whether their instruction to us or um, the ladies meeting in the home. Men, we had a great time uh, sometimes over meals. I, I know it was refreshing to me. Uh, I really appreciated their ministry. So, thanks, thanks to all of you, and I know many of you hosted and took the missionaries out. I, I, I believe just from my conversation with them that they left encouraged as well. So thank you for, for ministering to them. Let's look to the Lord. Father, as we open your word, uh, we, we pause and we, we pray because it is your word and thus we honor it. We don't presume to just impose our opinions all over it. We, we would not dare to declare, thus saith the Lord, if it's not which is said. And so, Lord, as we open your word, we look to you and we rely upon your spirit to use the message that will be delivered, that we might see and behold your truth, your glory, your grace, through Christ our Savior. For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. We invite you to open your book and your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. There, there has been, and I don't know if it's as much now uh, as it was, a little bit of a, of a, what I would call minimalism rage. Some might call it a minimalism obsession, you know, uh, smaller, simpler, less. Listen, it's not a bad idea to declutter your life. All right. Most of us have way too much stuff, and you realize the more stuff you have, the more you got to keep track of, the more you got to fix, the more you got to clean, the more you got to store. And it would be better for you to go through that now, because I can pretty much guarantee it. If you leave it to your kids, most of it's going to the curb. All right. Um, My wife has been leading our charge to do this uh, in our own in our own home. Perhaps you've heard, uh, and maybe not, but you've heard the, the name Marie Kondo. She's a Japanese organizing consultant. She's an author uh, whose, whose four books have collectively sold, I think it uh, lasts about two million copies. Um, her, her profile and, and, and her, her methods are very much promoted, has promoted her success through a Netflix a series entitled Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. It's interesting. She was talking about, uh, there, was a, there was a piece, she was talking about how, how her method developed. And, and she said as she was developing her method that she had she'd become obsessed with what she could throw away. But then she said one day she realized that that was really a mistake. And she said that she says, I was only looking to throw things out what I should be doing is finding the things I want to keep. Identifying the things that make you happy. That's the work of tidying. And out of that, she developed these, these basic rules to, to guide you on, on the road to sort of decluttering your life and tidying up your life. And, and rule number six was that as you sort through all of that stuff you have, you should ask yourself if it sparks joy. Now let me just say this: We tried it with our daughter, and the problem was everything she had sparked joy. <laughs> so we didn't necessarily get a whole get rid of a whole lot of stuff. The core of Kondo's philosophy is this: that it's it's about choosing joy. Kondo's. Philosophy, and she would say it, it, it really is, is rooted in her Shinto religion. It was interesting when we had Bill and Becky Petit here last week, who has served many years in Japan, gave a little bit of understanding, helped us to understand a little bit more uh, about, the, about the Shinto religion. And, and Kanda's philosophy is rooted in that. However, the desire for joy is universal, it is universal. I mean, isn't that what you want in your life? Don't you, don't you want joy in your life? Don't you want to know joy in your life as you make your way through it? I, I do. Listen, it's hard, it's draining to hang around grumpy people. It's really hard to spend much time with, with people that just complain, complain, complain. I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be Mr. Downer who, who sucks joy out of people's lives. I want joy. And I want to bring joy. And so, you know, so for some, you know, the, the, the popularization of this whole, this whole method, Kondo's advice to ask yourself if it sparks joy, and she would say, do that as you hold up an item of clothing, do that as you hold up a book, do that as you hold up a toy, men, do that as you hold up those tools. It might it might produce within you a kind of give me a break roll of the eyes, but listen, that's exactly how we make our journey through this life, isn't it? I mean, doesn't doesn't that even go through your mind like when you're buying a car? Man, yeah, this is it. Yeah, this 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 is this is the color. This is this is what I want it to look like. Or or as, as you're as you're maybe buying a house, as you're as you're shopping for clothing. Even when you're choosing items off the menu. You're, you're making your vacation plans. This is how we determine our priorities. This is how we fill in our schedules. We may, may not say it this way, but we're answering the question: will it spark joy? Because I don't know anyone. Who makes choices based on what's gonna bring them the most misery? You know, I open up the menu. I can't stand liver. Man, bring it on. I think that's what I want for dinner tonight. We don't do that. We don't do that. The bottom line is we are looking for things that that bring joy. And and yeah, that that spark that joy. Will, Will this make me happy? Will it bring me pleasure? Will this be fun? Will it satisfy me? I've fully realized, listen, you, know, you look at your calendar, you think, hey, pastor, you know, there's, there's stuff on my calendar there that I don't want to do. I wish I didn't have to do that. I mean, tell me, I'm, with all due respect to dentists, you tell me how going to the dentist is going to spark my joy. Well, here's how it sparks joy. If I don't, the problem will probably be a lot worse. Right? So there's some things that are on your schedule. Yeah, you go for that doctor's appointment, not because there's joy in the doctor's appointment, but because if you don't go, you're going to be a lot more miserable than you are. So you get right down to it. That's what we're after. That's what we're after. So what sparks joy in you? I'll bet it's whatever gets priority. Your time. Intention, what, what grabs, what grabs that, that part of you the most. Paul's letter to the Philippians sparks joy. I think it's a, I think it's a perfectly appropriate way to say it. He, he, he wrote the letter. Sparked joy within these believers. I mean, you read through this letter and I would encourage you because we're going to be in Philippians for a while. It, it, it sparked joy in Paul as he wrote it. I mean, you, you read down through here and, and, and you read about these things that, that whenever he would think about these Christians, these believers in Philippi, when he thought about them, when he prayed for them, it, it brought joy to him. You hear joy in his greetings to them. You hear joy in his prayers. You hear joy in his teaching. You hear joy even even when he has to take a moment. He has to to exhort and correct two women at odds in that church. You still sense joy in all of that. As he writes, he mentions joy in one way or another, at least 16 times in this letter. One seminary prof asserts that Philippians is, and I quote him, the most joyful book in the Bible. Many authors and preachers would identify joy as the theme of the letter. I think it's a theme. I think to say it is like the, the one and only, you know, it, it might be a little too simplistic. But the mood of this letter, and, and yeah, Paul's in a mood as he writes it. The mood of this letter is unmistakably joyful. And there's no doubt but that joy is a theme. Around which the content of his of this letter can be organized, which is what we're going to do as we move through this series on Philippians, and we're going to learn from Paul how to experience joy in the journey of this life. Because the bottom line is that's what we want. That's what we want. Even if you're sitting out there this morning a little bit a little bit miserable, a little bit sad, a little bit down, and even depressed pretty sure you don't want to be there pretty sure you want to know joy in your life it's important i think as we come to this letter to know that paul paul's not writing this letter from the beach on the mediterranean you know with the sand in his toes and the gentle sound of the waves the sea breezes He's not writing this letter, if you will, from that kind of happy place. He's in Rome. Whoa, not on a vacation. He's in prison as he writes this. And he's there in prison for doing God's will. How about that? (laughs) For seeking to honor God and to do what God wants him to do. He's in prison. And, and he's in prison because he loved Jesus so much and wanted others to love Jesus as much that he just wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. And he ends up in prison for that. You know what's interesting, and you sense this, not just out, only out of Philippians, but as you read his letters, there's a lot of people that didn't, didn't like Paul in his day. What's interesting, you can read stuff today, and there's still people today that don't like Paul a lot of people didn't like him jewish leaders especially did not like paul and, and he kept running into christians it seems in places that he went to even places he administered christians who would belittle him and there were some christian preachers who were actually glad that Paul was in prison. You know why? It seems like maybe they were a little tired of him getting the limelight all the time, getting attention all the time. Good, Paul's out of the way, he's in prison. Maybe I'll get a little attention now. And during, during his imprisonment, they're, they're in Rome, one of his co workers got sick, almost died. And while he's there going through all these experiences, Paul faces his own mortality matters of life and death. And even in all of that, he confesses that though he'd come a long way in his journey with Jesus, he had by no means arrived. This this former persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ was amazed at the grace of which we sung this morning, amazed at what it had done in his life, amazed at how, how far it had brought him, but very painfully aware of how much further he had to go. But in all of this, Paul was joyful. And if you tune in as you read this letter, you will feel his joy as you read his words. And you ought to. So this joy. Well, what is that? What, what is joy? It's such a basic, it seems, to the Christian experience, and yet... It seems sometimes we have a really hard time defining it. It doesn't seem we can get our hands on it. I have found that often, often, maybe you have found the same thing too, that happiness is contrasted to joy, right? There's happiness. and There's joy. And typically, and in fact I came across this as I'm just reading back through this again and, and studying, that usually when that's done... That happiness is minimized, marginalized, because joy is exalted. Happiness often seems to be portrayed as something that serious followers of Jesus should not seek. That happiness is kind of, kind of worldly, kind of worldly. And and, and you'd come away from some of these things with the impression that followers of Jesus are joyful, not happy. Come on. That doesn't sound very compelling to me. Come follow Jesus and never have a happy day in your life again. Or come follow Jesus, you know, leave your hope for any happiness at the door. There was one example, because it, it, it's actually quite common, there was one example that you just have to be careful with it, because I, you know, I don't want to just bash what the person said, but it really got me thinking, who said this about joy. In contrast to happiness sound, stands joy. So you can see right now, we're going to contrast joy and happiness. And when you're, when you're contrasting things, you're saying, you know, that's over here and this is over here. We're, we're sort of separating them. Running deeper and stronger, joy is the quiet, confident assurance of God's love and work in our lives. That's a very true statement. However, I read that and I thought, you know what? That actually, to me, sounds like peace. That sounds like peace. That he will be there no matter what. That kind of, to me, sounds like faith. And so I read that definition, and I see there's happiness, and there's joy, and there's peace, and there's faith. And that doesn't really answer the question for me, what is joy? He goes on and says, happiness depends on happenings. But joy depends on Christ. There's just a lot more that we'd have to dissect on that. So I'm not going to like trash this guy, all right? Because I'm sure, if, if he was here to flesh this out more, he would probably take us to where we all want to go. I'm just saying that you know this is probably some of the problem with you know with a, with a tweeted theology, is that a lot of times tweets need a lot more nuance than we can give them. Happiness depends on happeni- happenings, but joy depends on Christ. Let me just tell you this: happiness depends on Christ too. It does. The problem with all this is often we're looking for happiness and we're not depending on Christ for it. And see, we advance this idea when we say things like this. And again, I'm being very careful. God is more concerned about your holiness than he is about your happiness. You ever heard that? God is more concerned about your holiness your, I, I get it. Okay, I, again, I get get what the author's going to want to going to want to say. But grouchiness in the name of Jesus isn't a virtue, and it's not true that God doesn't care about your happiness. He does. The desire for happiness is not a wrong desire. What's wrong is what we think will make us happy. What's wrong is what we turn to to try to find happiness. Our perception often of happiness is maybe best expressed in this lyric from a really, 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 really old musical called Oklahoma. And if you ever heard the musical or seen the movie, there's this lyric. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I've got a wonderful feeling. Why? Because everything's going my way. And we, 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 we drag that idea of happiness into all this. And, and yeah, no, no. See, the problem isn't desiring happiness. The problem is, in the words of C.S. Lewis, that we are far too easily pleased. We settle for inferior happiness. Listen, if your happiness depends on your happenings, then yeah, that's a happiness that totally is disconnected from joy. But don't disconnect happiness from joy. You know why? Because joy is expressive. It's expressive. Joy is not just this inward thing. It has a cause and it finds expression. See, see joy, joy is not an idea. Joy is not a thought. Now, an idea or a thought can generate joy... But see, joy isn't the thought. Joy isn't the idea. Joy is what comes as a result of those things. Joy is an affection, which means this that joy has feeling. Joy has feeling. Joy is passionate. So when we think about this this, this beautiful thing called joy, don't make it into some non-feeling, non-emotive virtue. Joy is not original. Rather, something stirs joy. Something takes us there. Something causes that that, that deep inward feeling of, of this rejoicing Something has caused that. Something has stirred that. When when James writes, in in James chapter 1 and verse 2, he says, count it all joy. Okay, and he's talking there about these, these tough circumstances. Count it all joy. He's talking about a process of thinking that results in the feeling of joy. Joy begs for expression. And soul happiness is that. And don't get me wrong. This does not mean that Christians never experience sorrow. This is not about putting on fake smiles and pretending everything's great and hunky-dory, because sometimes it isn't. And let's let's just own up to it. We are not joyful all the time. We know that. And we know when, when tough, tough things come, that's the hardest set of circumstances. What does joy look like in this? It doesn't always come to us naturally because this, this is supernatural stuff. Being people of joy doesn't mean there's no sorrow because joy and sorrow can actually coexist. Why else would Paul say we sorrow but not as those who have no hope? See, joy is what keeps the sorrow from becoming despair. Joy is the reason that Paul and Silas could be in a Philippian jail with backs beaten and bruised and bleeding in in a miserable set of circumstances. It's why they could be there and could sing songs of praise to the Lord. It's expressive. You see, we pursue, when everything's said and done, we pursue what makes us happy. We don't like to say that because that sounds really sinful, and sometimes it is. It's why we don't do the good things we know we should do, but rather we just end up doing what we want to do. We end up doing whatever we believe in that moment will make us feel good. Whatever will be fun, Whatever will make me feel satisfied. Whatever will help me to experience pleasure. Bottom line is, we do what sparks joy. And here's another bottom line. Whatever is your highest joy is also your God. Paul shows us another way. He shows us this way of of joyful living. A living a, a, a living here on this earth, in all kinds of circumstances, a kind of living that manifests true happiness. Well, what's the source of all this? Well, certainly it's not the same joy sparked by Kondo Shinto religion. It's qualitatively different because it comes from a qualitatively different source. This joy is the gift that comes from God and it comes to us through Jesus Christ. It's the joy that we find in Jesus who in in Paul's letter to Philippians, we will find Jesus is our life. And the the joy that comes from Jesus who is our example and the joy that comes from Jesus who is our confidence and the, the joy that comes from Jesus who is our strength. The joy of which we're talking about does not flow out of other things. This is not a joy that finds its source in family, though family can be a great source of joy. We're talking about something more than that. It's not a joy that comes out of your career or your success or your acquisitions. It's not a joy that comes out of the experience of worldly pleasures. The source of this joy is Jesus Christ. So just as Marie Kondo sees tidying up life as a spiritual practice, joy is a Christian way of living. It's a way of living in which Jesus Christ is treasured as supremely valuable and absolutely delightful because at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So we are to delight ourselves in him and he will fulfill the desires of our heart. He is the wellspring of all of this. Which brings us here to Philippians chapter 1 as Paul just greets these these believers there in verse 2. He writes, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the source of joy. The joy that Paul will talk about that will keep coming up throughout this letter, this is the source. The source is grace and peace. Yes, this is a standard greeting for Paul. You read every single one of his letters, and you're going to find this in some form or another. But this is more than words. This is not Paul saying, hey, hi, how you doing, like we do, as we buzz on past the next person. Because we really weren't interested in how they were doing. It's just something you say. This is not Paul just saying something that, that, that you always say. Yeah, it's a standard greeting. It's a standard greeting. If you take it to the time in which Paul was, was writing, yeah, a lot of letters start this way. But Paul changes just a little bit in the wording of all this to tell us that Paul's very intentional. Very intentional as he writes to Christians and brings this, them this kind of greeting. In fact, it's worded as a little bit more than a greeting. It's really worded in the sense of a gospel blessing upon this church. The sense of what he is saying here is more like this. May the grace and peace of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be upon you. And when he pronounces that benediction, that blessing, he's not simply wishing for their spiritual prosperity. He is wishing and desiring that they would comprehend more fully the nature of their relationship of peace with God. The relationship that comes through the grace of God. May you know that more. May you grow in that. Because that is going to be foundational to everything else he has to say in this letter. And we need the same. Grace. Peace. Joy. Those three words really embody the gospel. It is called the gospel of God's grace in Acts 20, 24. It's called the gospel of peace in Romans 10, 15, quoting from Isaiah 52, verse 7. It's called the gospel of joy in Luke 2:10. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Peter wrapped up his description of the gospel in 1st Peter chapter 1 by declaring, "In this you greatly rejoice." It would not be a stretch To say it this way, in this, you literally dance for joy. That's the kind of word it is. And he was writing to those believers who were going through real difficulties. Grace, peace, and joy. That's the source. Grace and peace. What is grace? It's the undeserved kindness from God. We were singing about it this morning. We were reminding each other of the beauty of God's grace as we sang these songs together. Paul's desire is that they would increasingly experience this grace because it's, it's, grace is the whole basis of how God deals with us. His kindness, which we don't deserve. His kindness, which we cannot earn. Grace, perhaps the most beautiful word in the Christian vocabulary is grace. Grace. Grace is not a wage. Grace is not a reward. Grace means you don't have to work for God's love. It means you don't have to perform in order to receive God's love. It means you don't have to prove yourself to God. Grace means you don't have to make yourself worthy of His kindness. You see, the essence of the gospel is not due, but done. The work's done. Everything necessary to make us acceptable to God has been done. Everything necessary to to bring us into the love of God has been done. Everything necessary to get us to heaven, into the fullness of his his joy and his presence forever, everything necessary to get us there is done. Done. It's grace, and grace frees us from the performance trap. It's not that we don't do anything. I mean, we're going to see that in Philippians. It's just that we don't earn anything. We don't earn anything. The truth be told, there is no joy on the performance treadmill. If you think you've got to perform for God, to know his love. I can guarantee you don't know joy. You will not find joy on that treadmill. You will not find joy in trying to measure up to whatever it is you think you have to measure up. What makes the gospel good news is that it's the grace of God. The grace of God. And the more grace shapes your identity, And the more that grace superintends your activity, the more you will experience joy. Because nothing, nothing robs joy more than feeling you don't measure up. And you just better go out and try harder next time. It's not how God works with us. So there's grace. And there's peace. Peace. So grace is the undeserved kindness of God. Peace is the good life that the undeserved goodness of God brings to us. Peace. Speaking of the gospel, Paul wrote this in Romans 5:1. "We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith in this grace in which we stand and rejoice." in hope of the glory of God. See that? Peace, grace, joy. Grace produces this good life. So grace means you don't have to prove yourself. And when you don't have to perform, that's peace. That is peace for your soul. And this peace is the wellspring of joy. When when Paul talks about peace, he's not referring here to some some comfortable lifestyle with no difficulty. He's not talking about that there will never be a sleepless night. He's not saying there's never going to be pain or heartaches or disputes. But this peace that comes to us comes through the grace of God, the goodness and the kindness of God, which we do not earn, do not deserve. It is given to us, and this is the good life. This is the well-being that is ours through Christ, our Savior. Peace with God through reconciliation. Peace from God as you find yourself in stormy waters and fearful circumstances and uncertainties. Peace with others because of God's grace. You know, when we get out of sorts with other people, especially when we get out of sorts with other Christians, like What's happening in this church here in Philippi, and Paul's got to address it a little bit later on. When we get out of sorts with other Christians, we lose sight of grace. And when we forget grace, peace takes a hike. And when peace goes away, joy dries up. You see, no grace, no peace, no peace, no joy. Joy is experienced in a life of grace. Perhaps you've been in your vehicle, you've turned it on, maybe it's you know, right when you turn it on or you're driving along and you ever had a, one of those warning lights on the dashboard go off? It's always a delightful feeling. Especially if you're like many of us who have not a clue what that light is saying. But what it is doing, it's indicating a problem. It's indicating that there's something that needs to be checked. The absence of joy is a blinking light on the dashboard of your journey. Something is malfunctioning in the peace department, it could be sin could be unresolved conflict with others. It could be turmoil over your circumstances that you've not been able to come to terms with. But when you don't have peace, you're not going to have joy. And when you don't have peace, you've probably lost sight of grace. The lack of peace that's stealing your joy is signaling to you a lack of trust in the grace of God. You know, our world needs joyful Christians. So could I encourage us to be joyful Christians for the sake of the world? Martin Lloyd-Jones is a prominent British evangelical pastor considered one of the Greatest preachers, expositors of the 20th century. He actually died 39 years ago today. Interesting. He wrote this. If ever the world needed the witness and testimony of Christian people, it is at this present time. He's writing several decades ago. The world is unhappy. It is distracted and frightened. And what it needs is to see stars shining out of the heavens in the midst of the darkness. Paul's going to say something about that. Attracting the world by rebuking that darkness and by giving it light, showing how it too can live that quality of life. Such is the witness of joy. How much more that's needed today. For the sake of the world, Let's be joyful. Our church needs joyful Christians. So let's be joyful Christians for the sake of one another. Listen, we all face hardships. I mean, out there is getting more hostile and challenging to navigate. We need each other's joy. That's why. That's why we actually need to gather together to worship. That's why we need to gather with one another to pray, to learn, to share. I love it when we worship together. And and I love it especially, and some some days is better than others, I love it especially when I can hear your joy as you sing. That just, you know, this worship service is not all about the preaching, okay? It honestly isn't. But I'll tell you what. There's times. There's times I'm down here worshiping with you, and I hear you sing. I can't wait to get up here and talk about the Lord, because because of your joy in worship, it it fuels my joy in the Lord. I mean, there there are days. There's days I just don't feel it. There's days I wake up as grumpy as anybody, complaining, at least in my own spirit whining, feeling sorry for myself. And you know what? The enemy really knows how to pile on in those moments, I've noticed. If, if I want to start thinking that way, he'll keep giving me lots of things to think about. And, and, then, and then I get a note from somebody expressing joy. I get, I get a note from somebody reminding me of how great God is. And how loving our Savior is. Your joy comforts me in my sorrows and woes. Your joy encourages me to stand firm. Your joy stirs up my joy. And I hope mine does the same for you. Our church needs joyful Christians. So let's be joyful for the sake of one another. You know, and and Jesus wants us to be joyful. So let's be joyful Christians for the pleasure of Jesus. It's interesting that that when Jesus was getting his his disciples ready for his his death, you read this in John, these are the hours before. You know what Jesus was doing in that time? He was offering them joy. Interesting. Interesting. He's facing incredible suffering, but he says things like this as he tells them about the awful things that are about to happen. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. <laughs> That's when he's about ready to be arrested. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. So therefore, consider him who endured such sinners, from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jesus wants us to have fullness of joy. It testifies of him. What if we were the happiest people around? And I'm not talking about faking it. I'm not talking about some false perkiness. I'm not talking about that there's never tears. But what what if we were the the happiest people around, The, the, the happiness flowing from the joy that is ours through Christ Jesus? Listen, I've been in a fair share of meetings about churches that aren't very happy these days and their witness for Jesus has vanished. Our joy matters to Jesus. So it takes grace and it takes peace to experience joy. And that can be ours right now through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Jim Johnson said this, and I want to credit him with a quote. He said, half-hearted Christians are not happy Christians. Hope in God and don't run after other gods. That's the path to joy. Father, might we know your joy. Not just up in our minds. Not just to give a, a definition. Not just to talk about what it is, but God, true joy. That that, that soul joy, there's a happiness deep within. No, it's not not connected to and dependent upon the happenings around us. It's It's a happiness in the depths of our soul that is there because of your grace in our lives. And the peace that is ours through Christ our Savior. Let us know that joy. And this morning, Father, if there's anyone here who does not know that joy... Because they don't know Christ. They do not know this grace of which we've spoken. They do not know this peace which we've testified from your word. Let them come to Christ today who offers it freely because he has secured it through his death and resurrection. Today, in this moment, might they call upon Jesus Christ to be their Savior. Might they they stop trying to impress you. Might they stop trying to please you. Might they trust you, I pray. Lord, we confess how easily we settle for lesser joys, how we fix our happiness on so many fleeting, passing things, and we miss it. Lord, where we need to deal with things that have robbed us of joy, that have stolen happiness in Christ away, might we confess it? Might we repent of it that we might know the fullness of your grace and peace flowing through us that will express itself in joy? Help us, Lord, I pray.